having a, uh, yeah, so 361 Firm is a platform for investors, family offices by heritage, but more and more uh, institutional and some high net worth, you know, to collaborate on investing in philanthropy. We typically do that with funds. In fact, uh, one fund, we even created a fund uh, called 361 Ohio Tech, which is invested in an indirect and soon direct investor into one of the companies. So we, in all disclosure, uh, either this Zoom or other Zooms, we, we will have our clients, but we do ask them, if you could show the third slide, Paul, um, to uh, not to do two things. One is is not to pitch. That's for yes, both. I'm on. Okay, good. But not to pitch for a couple of reasons. One, I think people are just not people don't are not listening is is effectively. We want to teach each other things. So so there's a lot of uh, unique insights that these panelists will share. Paul uh, Mangione is a fellow uh, banker partner of mine and and leading uh, uh, let's say. Uh, this in this domain. So I'm glad to hand it over to you, Paul, to uh, facilitate this. Uh, I think this will be the one of several. Um, you know, there are many asset classes that are being tokenized and fractionalized. So, uh, you know, I think this will be a, a good kickoff for the subject uh, for multiple events. So with that, Paul, I'll hand it over to you. Great, thank you, Mark. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Paul Mangioni. I am a founder of Fort Schuyler Capital. Uh, just a one word on Fort Schuyler Capital. So we focus on all aspects of structured finance opportunities for originators and investors. Uh, we do capital markets advisory for, uh, uh, say, uh, structured finance and uh, whole loans. So that's just a little background on me. Uh, we have, you know, three. You know, very interesting panelist. Uh, I think we're going to have to we're gonna track Mosin down in a second, uh, but Mosin Masood, uh, he's the CEO and founder of Accrue. Uh, we have Samuel Grossman. He is the managing director of Invenium, uh, and he'll give a background on that, but it's a very interesting data, uh, real-time data uh, platform for um, uh, supporting blockchain and cap private capital markets. And uh, Sid, is the founder and CEO of Intain, a blockchain uh, structured finance firm, really focused around uh, administration and capital markets now uh, for uh, the structured finance markets. Uh, so why don't I give uh, you know, Sam a second and uh, Sid an instant. So Sam, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little more of your background? Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Paul. Happy to join everyone today. Um, I'm the managing director of real estate uh, solutions here at Invenium. Invenium is a, a data operating system for private market assets. Uh, we basically provide um, a real-time uh, due diligence room um, for a multifamily or any um, asset class. Um, what we do is we aggregate the data, extract it, we credential it and anchor it to the blockchain uh, for um asset owners. Uh, then we provide real-time valuation as well. Um, <clears throat> we really just provide uh, better data, which creates better value, which allows you to make better decisions uh, and puts you on the path to tokenization uh, while also um, anchoring uh, all of your data uh, to the blockchain, uh, which provides transparency. Great. So, Thanks, Sam. And uh, Sid, why don't you give a little overview of yourself and Intain? 
Hi, uh, thanks, Paul. Uh, good to be uh, with this group. Uh, Siddharth, founder and CEO uh, of Intain. Uh, my background is uh, financial services, operations, middle back office, uh, Deutsche Bank, State Street. Uh, founded Intain 2018 for the last four or five years. We have been building and running the administration and servicing infrastructure for asset and mortgage-backed securities. And now we are launching a marketplace where you can actually issue and uh, invest in mortgage and asset-backed securities. Thanks, Sid. And Mosin, I see you've joined us. Thank you so much. Uh, please introduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Mosin Masood. I am the founder and CEO for Accru. Uh, Accru is a platform for fractionalizing commercial real estate. What I like to say is we slice and dice commercial real estate into $1,000 shares, so it becomes more tradable. Um, you know, we work with uh, Invenium to ensure that we have better data for people to make better decisions, uh, and we enable asset owners to uh, to get liquidity on the platform. Great. Thanks, Mose. And so... Uh, again, you know, we're, we're all here talking about this for educational purposes. We're really here to teach, learn about the, these plat, uh, learn about tokenization, and then really get into, you know, uh, some of the content that these experts can share with us. Um, so, you know, looking at the list of attendees, we've got a lot of attendees. And one of the ideas, we have a lot of people really uh, skilled with capital markets, really knowledgeable. Uh, a lot of them probably have, to, you know, have heard about tokenization and uh, are maybe looking at applying tokenization to their businesses. Uh, so I guess, you know, the real question that let's start with a fundamental question, what is tokenization when we're talking about real estate and structured finance? We've all heard of DeFi, we've heard of the blockchain, but, you know, let's talk about tokenization. Why don't uh, maybe each of the panelists give their view in, in, in their specific area? Happy to go first. So sure. uh, real estate tokenization, you know, it's just another fancy word for real estate fractionalization, which has been happening for thousands of years. Uh, the only difference is this time around, we're enabling liquidity, right? And we're improving the existing structures around it. If you look at the history in, in fractionalized real estate, you know, you could go back to just a few siblings owning a piece of land together uh, to, uh, you know, what, what, what ended up leading to the heavy test, right? The heavy citrus grows and the heavy investments, uh, eventually leading to making REITs, then the Jobs Act. Uh, you also had ticks in the middle, followed by um, a, you know crowdfunding really picking up steam, and then Reg A becoming a Reg A plus becoming uh, another way to raise money. Now, what blockchain does is blockchain really streamlines that process if it's done appropriately, uh, it, provided that you're really uh, ensuring that the transaction, it adds the efficiency in the transaction and it ensures that you're recording it for, over um, uh, on an immutable ledger, right? So legally looking at it, all that real estate tokenization in today's world uh, is doing is we're just digitizing the schedule a for, for an operating agreement right all, all that's all that we're doing we're Got making it. sure that the list of the membership interest units is recorded in a digital form which enables the liquidity within the system and so and it can be tracked in such an efficient manner that it that it can be uh implemented uh, 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 at scale as well got it okay and you know what sid why don't you give us some details we'll go to the next question what are the underlying technologies that support tokenization we've all heard of blockchain we've heard of bitcoin we some of us you know have you know been involved in that in ethereum but 
what's the underlying technology? Like, this is not a centralized database. This is not a bunch of files in a, you know, or PDFs on someone's screen somewhere. This is something different. Yeah, uh, so for people in capital markets, uh, the way I would look at it is that you have multiple entities uh, running of different databases and we have armies doing reconciliations. Since in my past life, I was running a 15,000 people operation, 5,000 would have been in recons. As we're just reconciling database. Blockchain ensures almost in a way that everybody's ledger is being auto-reconciled. And as Mohsin said, it's immutable. So you're basically taking an asset, making fractional units of it, which means has been done through shares, et cetera, uh, for decades. Those fractional units are digital and they are recorded on an immutable ledger. Uh, there are multiple protocols. Uh, Ethereum is the most common, widely used. Uh, there are uh, what are called level two uh, derivatives of Ethereum. But we have many others like Solana, Avalanche, something that we use. There are some private blockchains as well, and we can get into details of some of those. Great. And, uh, you know, Sam, in, in terms of the use of data with, uh, with blockchains, like how do you see, you know, some of the, some of the things that you're involved in, in terms of real-time data for private markets, like how has that kind of become part of, you know, how does that support tokenization and blockchain? Well, it's really the pipes. Um, you know, we see ourselves as um, at the pipes of the ecosystem. You know, you have um, the pipes which which flow the data and the value, um, and it's it's not just about having um, data. Um, you know, we we don't monetize data. We don't take your data. What we really do is just verify each asset owner's data, uh, making sure it's the golden copy. Uh, meaning that it's the original document that has not been manipulated. Um, and, and that's sort of the, the, uh, the verification of the data is where it all begins. Once you have better data, uh, then you can automate the process in, in bringing in a third-party valuation provider to provide real data. You know, the, we're, the, the idea that blockchain and Bitcoin are related um, is, is sort of a fallacy in that Tokenization is not crypto. Um, it's a very important differentiation to make. You know, the reason why there's so much volatility in the crypto market is because there's no underlying data. There's no underlying asset. There is no true um, you know, third party that's putting out, you know, this is the value based on this. Um, that is, is why you know, it's important to know that difference because when you go to tokenize real assets, um, tangible assets, buildings you can touch, um, and the value is then set by you know a a third party versus someone who you know is a market maker or is is getting paid based on the value, right? Um, then you just have a, a more consistent, fluent, uh, frictionless process uh, in order to transact. That that increase in transactions creates increase in liquidity, which again should uh, should should create you know more you know liquidity in the marketplace and more transactions overall. Got it. And uh, you know, like Sid, you were talking about. So oh, first of all, anyone out there, you know, we're gonna have a Q and A. Uh, my emails in the chat, or you could just put a question in the chat. So uh, at the end of this, we'll have a couple of minutes for questions. So 
uh, you know, please have the questions. You can put them in there and uh, uh, we'll, we'll try to get to them uh, during the panel. Um, but Sid, you know, question three I put in there is like, what are the benefits of tokenization? You had talked about in your past life, uh, you know, having you know, a couple thousand people and you had five, you know, it was like 5,000 people, I think you said, like that were just kind of reviewing analysis and records. So obviously tokenization must benefit in cost savings from a, from a labor standpoint and just continually checking and rechecking things. Uh, so obviously that's a benefit. Maybe you can touch a little more of that. And then how do people really, you know, get comfortable with it from, you know, how do you, like, we, we know what, I think we know what the benefit is. It's time and, and, and money uh, are, are saved, but how uh, do we get, I guess, people comfortable with, with, the, with the tech uh, to, to really reap those benefits? Yeah, uh, so tokenization is kind of one outcome of putting an asset uh, on blockchain, but it's taking structured finance as an example. The thing there is the loan originator, the issuer, a custodian, rating agency, the underwriter, servicer, trustee, investor. These are number of parties who are running their own systems, own databases, shipping data to each other on Excel sheets, on emails, then doing ping pongs to reconcile, to establish what right. the data is. I mean, what's the real dollar savings do you think? And I mean, obviously application, but what kind of improvements have you seen, uh, you know, either in so your practice in our or space, clients? Yeah. So in our space, we see costs dropping from about 150 bips to 50 bips of a transaction. Um, we have seen there are some intermediaries who have come to us with a proposition on sharing 50% of their fees with our platform. Now, if somebody is offering to share 50% of their fees means their costs are reducing by 80 to 90%. So that is the level of transactional cost reductions that could be achieved in some asset classes. Great. Um, so I'm going to bring in, uh, I got a question here. I think is interesting. It's uh, really, what is the current institutional adoption of token, you know, tokenized real estate platform? So maybe Mosin, you can kind of give. Yeah. So I want to quickly touch on uh, the sure. previous question as well. Right. So when, when you talk about the benefits of, uh, of tokenization, uh, benefits of tokenization lead to the efficiencies within the transaction, the settlement periods, the recording of the ledger on a, the recording of the transaction on an immutable ledger. It's it's a distributed ledger where you're just recording transactions. You're not putting data on there, right? So w you you should really look at also how it's really uh, you, you're creating this perfect trail and transparency within that ownership structure as well. You're able to create and track ownership down to a 15th of a second based on that information. Uh, and then when the data piece is connected through to it and the secondary market transactions uh, start happening, that really leads to the true efficiencies that get brought in by reducing the need, as Sid was talking about, the, the, the TAs involved in the entire system, the, uh, a, 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 the efficiencies get introduced by reducing the um, the re reducing the hurdles between the communications and everyone else's database is running, everyone having different uh, different pieces on it. So it, it streamlines the entire piece to it. 
Your, your second uh, question on the institutional um, asset adoption on uh, real estate tokenization, uh, that's, the, that's something that's growing, right? So our last year was all about educating people more and more on how real estate tokenization works. That's a, a, a cruise very, very focused on the core assets, which are stabilized income producing assets, uh, which are which are growing into the larger institutional asset schemes, right? La uh, last year, we were focused on assets between three to $5 million. This year, we're focused on assets between five and $50 million. And, and starting Q1 of next year, the assets that we are listing are between 50 million to $175 million right. each, right? So more and more institutional institutions are adopting towards uh, commercial real estate as well. Got it. And maybe to kind of roll back to the, some of the points you just made uh, on like thinking about uh, like how do accountants and administrators, how are they getting comfortable? Like where, what stage are they in? Like when you talk to your uh, accounting firm, you know, major top four firm or you know, your, your smaller firms uh, in terms of, a, you know, marking the books on a regular basis or just also the administrators, like what stage are they at in terms of understanding tokenization using tokenization, maybe Sid and then Sam, and then, you know, everyone can kind of touch base on there, but like, where, where are the, the people that kind of used to do this? So I, you know, they were accountants and administrators and, and custodians. What's their role now? And, and how have they kind of, how are they getting comfortable? What stage are they at? Like what inning are we at with that? Yeah, I can jump in on this sure. one. I, I, I can jump in on this one. So, you know, we're, we've been uh, in very close contact with Deloitte um, throughout this process. And at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're not looking to replace those parties, right? Um, the token blockchain does not replace those parties. What they do is they enhance their their usability. They they make their job more efficient. They remove the friction. You know, if anyone's been through an audit. You know, they can tell you the horror stories of, of literally pulling out files for months at a time, stacking them on a table and 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 having a full team ready uh, to run around the office uh, getting missing pieces. But, to, you know, with what blockchain does is creating that audit trail, right? It's connecting all of those parties together with Invenium as the pipes to the system. What we really do is by actioning the data, the data, we really do provide that audited, you know, ability of data, right? You know, it's accurate, so you don't need to check anything. You know where it came from, so you don't need to check anything. The source documents are linked, so you that auditor can click through and see what they want, how they want, when they want. That That is, to me, you know, the overall, people say, you know, what is blockchain doing to real estate? Blockchain is, is, is creating efficiency in one of the most inefficient marketplaces by connecting all of these silos, right? Getting away from the siloed off industry and bringing them together so that everyone can read the same data at the same time and come up with their own conclusions versus waiting for every department to put their stamp or download and upload and process, right? It's an automated process. So everyone's seeing the same thing at the same time. Right, and, and Sid, you want, did you wanna add something to that? No, I uh, agree with most of it. Uh, only thing is that, yes, there are blockchain initiatives. That means we have a very different, more conservative approach. 
which would want to replace functions like paying agents, verification agents, and they call it disintermediated systems. Uh, we believe in efficient intermediation. Uh, as far as the accountants, rating agencies, those kind of intermediaries are concerned, Sam is right. It makes their job more efficient, but they would also have to evolve because some of their revenue models would change. For example, they are involved in due diligences, uh, in structured finance. Every time a transaction happens, you do a re-DD on the same loan pool. Now the due diligence will happen once. You can't keep making revenues by doing due diligences on the same pool many times. So they benefit significantly, as Sam said, because everything is recorded, easily available, and immutable. Uh, you can trust it inherently, but the revenue models for them also will have to change. Great. Well, I'm going to jump down to question 11 because uh, I know a lot about Bitcoin mining, and I talk to miners. I know about the machines, and block, you know, and so I know that's the Bitcoin network, but you know, blockchain is different. And so maybe I, I think Mosin and Sid both mentioned avalanche as a you know as a as a system so the question you know i had was what blockchain is your system on who pays to keep that system up and running like obviously uh you know we, we kind of know a little about the incentives but maybe you guys can give us more detail like uh how uh your the blockchain that your system is on how it how it really kind of works and where are the incentives to keep it working um, you know, my perspective on that question, I, and I'll, I'll give you a straight answer to that. We're, we're currently built an avalanche. Uh, who pays the fees? Accrue enables every user to pay their gas fees uh, without, without any friction, without any hassle, and without them even realizing that they're paying it. Um, and that's where we're building the user experience piece into it. But it, it, there's a longer piece to that answer as well, right? So it doesn't matter what blockchain you're building on. It's about what efficiencies it's adding into your system. Think of it as this, uh, back in the 90s, we used to go on the internet to look at this really cool website and you know that website would do the function for you. Now, a website is just a website. It's not built using HTML. Well, it's still built using different code behind it, but you know, it's not, you're, you're not coding in every little piece into it. You've got tools where you can build it out fairly quickly. You wanna get more complex about it, you can. Uh, it, it, it really streamlines, uh, you know, you've got to streamline the entire user experience from it for, for it to get true adoption on it. And blockchain should truly, in my opinion, be a general purpose utility, whether it's the internet, whether it's electricity uh, to, to power uh, bulbs or whatever else it may be. And that's that's how you get more adoption out of it. Uh, sorry, it took a little bit longer than, than, than a quick answer that you were looking for, but those are my two cents. No, that's good. And Sid, do you have anything to add around Avalanche and how you guys interact with it? Yeah, so we uh, are on, on an avalanche subnet. Um, and the reason for that is, uh, A, we want every single node to be hosted within the United States, all data to reside within the United States. Uh, because it's on a sub, uh, subnet in a permission environment, we choose all validators. So all validators are US residents or US entities. Uh, we can enforce- What's the validator, Sid? Okay. Yeah. What's a validator? Uh, okay. Yeah, I should have. Um, so validators are people who are verifying transactions that are happening on a blockchain who get incentivized. Uh, so I think one of the earlier questions was on Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, the validators are in a way the miners. Uh, in Ethereum, there are people who stake, 
who in these public blockchains can be anybody. You can stake and become a validator. Because we run a permissioned environment, we choose people who can validate. And as I said, that we can impose like FINRA certification requirements, etc. So we have a very, very permissioned environment. And because Avalanche provides, we use it. So our use case to that extent may be slightly different. So means our deals are not publicly available. Uh, means even the investors, issuers, anybody who's coming into our system are people who we allow to come onto our submit. Okay. All right. Why don't uh, we get into some specifics around uh, you know, it's a little, we're a little, you know, trying to keep on time here, applications to real estate. And so I'll give most in a couple of minutes to talk about that and keep in mind, I'm starting, I'm getting a lot of questions on in the chat. And uh, one question is, have there been cases where real properties were tokenized? And I think the answer is yes, but you know, I'm sure Mosin can give a lot of color on that. And uh, could real-time valuation and liquidity be achieved across new construction real estate projects? Uh, so that's, you know, that's kind of some interesting questions coming in through the chat, but most, and, you know, we wanted to, you know, give you a couple minutes to talk about, uh, you know, how we apply tokenization to real estate, like when we get, get into some details, but all, and then Sam kind of, you know, give us, you know, kind of, uh, you know, more background as well, like, and, and feel free uh, to, to, to uh, you know, regarding real estate opportunities. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, anything can be tokenized at any given point in time. Uh, it's it's about the value that gets added onto it, right? I could pick up my phone and I just, hey, today I can decide I want to create tokens against it. What's the value out of it? Nothing much. What's what's the legal structure behind it? I, you know, that's that's all of that that kind of adds into it. Uh, when you're talking about tokenizing real estate, you've got to be very careful on how you're tokenizing it. And there's the right way of doing it. And then they're saying there's the vanity a metric aspect of tokenizing real estate as well, right? When I say that, I, I say it in this perspective. The first asset to be tokenized was in 2015, which was tokenized by Meridio. Uh, they transacted a single token, uh, a single ERC-20 token, like an Ethereum coin uh, 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 for uh, transferring the entire asset uh, capital stack from one person to the other. So from the same owners, from one wallet to the other. That was the novelty aspect of tokenization. The first truly institutional asset that was tokenized was the St. Regis Aspen. That was the vanity metric behind it. Hey, we're using blockchain to do real estate. Uh, you know, those are just uh, LP interest sold at, uh, sold uh, using regs outside the U.S. for the most part, uh, and just represented using tokens. No real efficiencies are brought in the system. Uh, with that, you know they don't lead to e easier liquidity because they're blockchain tokens or they don't lead to better data because there's no data connected to those tokens in anywhere form. They don't lead to anything else, right? So when Accrue does real estate tokenization, we look at it for, as a full life cycle solution perspective, right? So when you're fractionizing an asset, you, you've got to have the same approach as you are when you're looking at a traditional real world asset, uh, asset as well. You've got to underwrite that asset. You've got to get all the baseline information in place behind it. You know who's doing it. Uh, what's their experience? What's the what, what are the projections on the data? What are the financials like? Uh, what, what kind of background uh, does, uh, does the developer have, and what, what what does the market look like in the neighborhood? 
from there on, it goes into an initial offering where once the due diligence is completed, valuations are agreed upon, uh, it, we do the initial offering piece or where we IPO the building per se, and we sell a minimum or maximum uh, piece on what uh, the asset owner wants to sell out of the equity stack in the deal. Uh, as soon as that completes, uh, SEC mandates a 90-day hold period uh, based on very specific uh, exemptions and no action letters uh, that we utilize on our platform. Um, and then uh, your secondary market opens up. Uh, your secondary market is where people can buy, sell, and trade these. Uh, you know, people in real estate uh, have created uh, a lot of ATSs where, you know, they're trading using a bid-ask matching service. Uh, you, you've got companies doing that uh, using blockchain without using blockchain. Uh, but the problem with that is real estate is an OTC product, right? So it's their price discovery is a key piece behind it. It's not something where you can just have a traditional bid-ask matching piece uh, kind, of, kind of come to a solution with it. And that's what, what Accrue is solving for, right? That's what uh, happens when uh, when someone wants to list uh, their shares on the secondary market for trading, they list it at whatever list price they want, even though we're providing quarterly appraisals on these assets and quarterly market price guidance on every token. Um, you, you, you list that token and the following person can come in and they can click on the eBay buy now button or they can uh, they can counter you back with a different different number on it. That's what brings in the efficiency and the, and the liquidity in, in the real estate transaction process. Now, more importantly, on the back end, once the deal is all done, someone needs to do the distributions on it. Someone needs to do the K-1s on it or, or, or the tax documents on it. Uh, someone needs to do the waterfall management on it. And that's where we really add the efficiencies in the system. It's not that we're replacing your CPAs for creating those K-1s, but imagine if one share sells twice a day uh, for these tokenized assets. It's not happening today, but eventually. That means you need to issue 700 35 K1s, uh, odd K1s at the end of the year, or 730 odd K1s uh, at the end of the year against that single uh, share. And if it's a $10 million asset with a $1,000 uh, share price, uh, you're talking about 735,000 different <laughs> uh, or 7.35 million different K1s to be issued. Practically just not possible, right? Today, crowdfunding creates 50 K1s for each entity, and that's got CPAs really riled up on how difficult that is. Uh, how do you track those ownerships when it's trading over a period of time? That's the efficiency that the accrued system brings in. We, we take the 1065, we, we take the scheduled case uh, from the CPAs, and then the system uh, turns out uh, the, the K1s for each individual investor. Uh, similarly, you know, you, when you want to do distributions, you, you don't have to put in every investor or update every investor's uh, ACH information every time. Just say this quarter's distribution is a million dollars and you click, it automatically distributes to, to every uh, investor in there. Uh, really adding a lot of efficiencies in that investor management piece, the compliance side of things, uh, you know, lo looking at sub-doc management, ensuring uh, accreditation statuses, because our offerings are all Reg D 506C offerings. So we have to ensure that these are verified accredited investors that are buying, selling, and trading these. I, in the SEC states, that uh, accreditation status is only valid for 90 days. So every 90 days, uh, you know, we, we have to ensure that the investors are, uh, re-upping that accreditation uh, uh, verification. Yeah, my CPA so loves is, that. My CPA loves me uh, him writing a letter every 90 days. Uh, <laughs> I got a good question for you, uh, Mosin. So sorry to interrupt, but I think this might be... So one of the... Uh, actually, it's from Jack. He says, yep. 
What happens when a general partner decides to sell his majority part of a fractional property? Must the platform investors be dragged along? Can they hold? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh. I, I missed the last part of it. Uh, so when a general partner wants to sell his majority part of a fractional property, uh, must, the other, must the platform, I guess the smaller investors, be dragged along or can they continue to hold their uh, their uh, tokens? Yeah, look, that's, that's the beauty of the system, right? There is liquidity available for whoever uh, wants it whenever they want it. Uh, when you fractionalize an asset, when you tokenize an asset and you bring it uh, on the accrue platform, it's up to the, up to the GP and the LPs as to how much of it do they want to sell upfront, how much of it do they want to retain, um, and whatever aspect they, they want to, and for whatever time period they want to hold it for. So, if gotcha. I'm an LP in a deal and I say I don't want to sell any of my LP interest, I'm going to hold it for another two, three, four years. I can continue to do that, as opposed to if I'm a GP in the deal and I say. Yeah, I want to liquidate 50% of my equitable interest in there. As long as my loan covenants on on, uh, on the outstanding debt allow me to do so, there's nothing that that, that stops them from from selling those assets. Uh, and that's that's the biggest thing. It's the ability for everyone to sell their their, their shares or their tokens anytime they want. Uh, not just in the initial offering, but also on the secondary market, right? Uh, and before the secondary market opens up for every asset, there's like a 90-day cool-off period only, not much more than that. Great. All right. Thanks for that's a good overview of you know high level and, and and some details on the application of real estate. Sid, why don't you know? So that's so Mosin's talking about specific commercial properties. Like here's a building, it's rented up. Uh, I'm going to fractionalize the ownership of it. Uh, you know that that and that's the work that Mosin has done has been talking about. Maybe you can get a, give a little insight about how uh, tokenization helps structured finance uh, in regards to, I guess, you know, the administrative side, which I think you know you've you, you've been pretty active. And then also on distribution side, capital raising. Sure. Um, are we using the slides, Paul, or oh, sure. Yes. No, I'm I'm fine either ways. Yeah. No, I'll bring them. Um, Sorry, and then we'll. No, no, that's there fine. we go. Yeah. Uh, so I just picked these uh, couple of slides just to explain uh, that, for example, if uh, Acru would do this without the Invenium data, means how much value would come? Uh, and a lot of blockchain initiatives generally uh, have just focused on tokenization. Even today's session means a lot of questions revolve around tokenization. But tokenization of a final instrument in itself means very little because the whole complexity lies in how they are being administered behind the token. Um, for example, in the crisis, if all the final CDOs were traded as tokens instead of being traded as paper-based contracts, would it have made any difference at all? And the answer is no. So one thing we need to bear in mind is that the value of blockchain really is that how much credibility you try to bring onto the blockchain on what is behind that token. Let's move to the next slide. Uh, and that's why we have been in this space for four and a half years now. Uh, and we did not tokenize anything for four years. Uh, for four years, we have been building the infrastructure 
for structured finance. So the whole idea has been that we are not bringing the asset or the money itself to the blockchain, but we are bringing the data about the asset to the blockchain. So for asset-backed and mortgage-backed securities, we are bringing the data about the loans and the security on the blockchain so that the verification agent who's actually as a custodian verifying those loans and certifying the paying agent who's running all those models based on the indenture agreements to make the payouts all that function comes onto the blockchain and there we now have means all the complex deal structures uh, and what this has ensured is so this is nothing to do with tokenization yet but still benefits of blockchain so currently Paul, you've been in this industry for long. So you know that what happens is that month end, next 15 days, people just reconcile data. And the final report is available to an investor by 20th or 25th of the subsequent month. And that is when the payments are made. Now, it is easy to say that it is 20 days after the month end, but it's actually 55 days after an event that would have occurred on the first day of the previous month. So a collection that is made on 1st of uh, October, the investor gets that money on 25th of November. An event that happens on 1st of October, an investor gets a report in a PDF on 25th of November. Now, just putting the data actually completely streamlines this and makes it real time. Let's go to the next slide. Sure. Yeah. Uh, this is slightly complex, but this shows that means what all is involved in tokenization, at least in structured finance. So starting from kind of bottom left, so issuer comes with a pool of loans. Now these loans are not on blockchain. So they are blockchain native assets and they are assets of blockchain, like real estate means the building is not on blockchain. The building is off blockchain. Similarly, 99.9% .9 of the loans today are off blockchain. So a custodian has to verify and certify. Once they are certified, we convert each loan into a token. The underwriter, the way traditionally underwriting has been done, underwrites, and then we create investment tranches, which people then invest into. Uh, and hence from the issuance to the investment part becomes completely digital uh, with real-time settlement. And once collections against those loans start happening, then because the terms of the original agreement based on which each tranche holder needs to be pay up, paid out are coded as software programs, which glorif is glorified in blockchain lingo as smart contracts, which has nothing to do with being smart or contract. They're simple software programs running on blockchains. They kick in, they do the calculations based on which the payments are made. So it's basically what was happening manually, as I said, across 50 days, is real time completely digitized. So yeah, so that's kind of how it works in structured finance. Got it. Got it. Uh, you know, in regards to data, Sam, maybe you know you can kind of give us like the like Sid was talking about. You know, I used to tell people like the securitization market. You know, has twelve heartbeats a year, right? It's just like you get that file in, and that's you know from from an internal standpoint of the deal. That's that's it. Like you get, you get, obviously there's outside uh, occurrences that happen in, in the economy. Um, and, you know, yesterday we had a, an interest rate rise, but, you know, the, from the securitization itself, it, 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 you have 12 heartbeats a year. But now, like, 
you know, I guess we have we have two things. We have real time data from borrowers, possibly, and maybe Sid can touch on that from the servicer, but also from other sources. So maybe Sam, you kind of give us an insight in terms of real time data for uh, either real estate or or structured finance and how that kind of plays in and 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 fits in with tokenization. Yes. Yeah, so uh, so we, we we have both. Um, we handle private credit, uh, private debt. Uh, we also, you know, handle you know the 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 equity stacks on those as well. So, um, you know, we have uh, numerous lenders out there um, that you know are on our platform and um, providing us the data on their loans. Um, you know, loans are based on you know assets. Although there's you know some criteria, uh, the DCRs, the you know. Uh, the the rates you know as you have it um, some pay down requirements or or whatever the case may be but you know at the end of the day it's still data uh, that's linked to an asset um, whether you know you own that asset and you're and and you're the the GP trying to determine the the value of the cap stack or you're the lender uh, that's holding that 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 piece. Um, that is still backed by the asset and and the market um you know data is data uh structured data is structured data the better the data is uh the better the value is um and and therefore you you always should know not only what the value of the cap stack is but what the value of the debt is and um you know it's it's not really different than you know What's be what's been done for years in in the finance you know arena on the debt you know you have tranches of single family home debt all you know that you know get packaged up all the time right I mean that's just you have secondary market trading um, on debt that that happens all the time that's what you know the initial loan is based on um, that's why there's the so called you know LTV um, you know benchmark because that is what can you know they can sell it for in the secondary market the difference here is that the data that you're getting is real time the data you're getting is verified the historical data trades you know travels with the token so if if you're a token holder that 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 you know purchases a token you know in the 10th year you're going to see the historical data that has always been with that asset uh, regardless of what point in time that you bought it, you know, everyone's got a, a different, you know, um, investor criteria, right? Some guys really, if you take a new construction building, because that was brought up before, if shovel in the ground, that token's worth a dollar, stabilized, built, leased up, that's worth $10. There's an investor out there that really wants the risk, right? So he's going to take that, that token throughout the process from one to five. Then you have, you know, the, the, the investor that's, you know, let's just call up, doesn't want the risk. They feel the risk been mitigated, but there's still some upside in it, right? This is maybe the, you know, the, the 15 guy, right? Not the 20 to 22 guy. And then at the end, you, you have the insurance companies that are yield buyers, right? They're looking at the four to 6%. And so because of that, new construction is a great version of tokenization. Um, I think it's probably one of the better versions of tokenization out there. But the beauty of it all is that is the efficiency that the blockchain creates. 
and allows for this to be a frictionless transaction, a decentralized investor base, right? Anyone can invest in any market so long as they, you know, fit the criteria and, and, and the rules and regulations that have been set forth, uh, whether it be a crew um, or, or others, the, the rules are the same. A credit investor is a credit investor. Um, and, and so as long as you follow those steps, um, you know, it, it just really creates a much more efficient marketplace. And if there's for- corrections to data, like let's say in, in the securitization market from time to time, there may be some correction on a loan or, you know, a, a, you know, the, I mean, years ago you would see like, there could be corrections and like, basically a new PDF would be posted on the trustee's website and then the old one was gone, right? And so, uh, you know, the ideas of the correction happened, but then you'd have to figure out, oh, like I had to reverse a payment now where the DTC had to like, I had to send money back or they netted out of the next payment. Like that's something that stays with the, with the, uh, the, the, the property of the security as well, right, Sam? That like corrections are, are kind of documented. Yeah, I mean, like I said, value is value. Um, the fact that you're getting the, the quarterly valuation from a third-party provider, that's the value. Um, so, uh, you know, listen, it's just like any, you know, other security. The only difference is this is real. This is a real asset backed by real data, um, right? So there's, there's this huge, you know, we call it the cliff between private and public markets. What's the difference? The difference is data. Right. That's, the difference is yeah, I like that. Yeah, that, that's a great point. The difference is data between the public and private market. Let I've got a couple of questions on the chat. So let me get to those questions and then I'll try. And, and this is probably for anyone. This is a good one. Uh this is from one of my old colleagues. He said, Are these tokens and their tradings subject to any securitization regulations? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's what that's what I'm gonna say. Look, uh Tokenization does not mean there's no regulation required. Tokenization does not mean we're running away from regulation or anything like that. Uh, security is law is security is law. You've got to stick to uh, what is out there. You've got to stick within current regulations and in whatever exemptions you're working under or whatever uh, uh, offering uh, structure you're working under. Every single rule on that applies and compliance is a major, major piece to it. So every offering on the accrued platform is a Reg D 506C offering. So um, some simple compliance like AML and KYC, obviously is, uh, is there across the board, but those accreditation verifications every 90 days for people to participate in, in every transaction, uh, you know, for uh, make, making sure that those sub docs and those uh, uh, are all signed off on happens through our identity token because we we do the third party verifications on that front. Uh, similarly, on uh, on the secondary market trading side, you know, ensuring that after the initial offering there has been a ninety day uh, cool off period for that offering, uh, and then that secondary market is only open to the accredited, active accredited investors on the accrued platform. So all of that is securities law compliance that comes in. Right? Because post that initial 90 day cool off period, now it, it, tokens can be traded day in, day out, right? Between every asset owner and uh, between every uh, investor within an asset and, and new investors. So you've got to ensure that the compliance piece kind of com- comes in on it. So it, securities law is of 
utmost importance and should not be awarded in any way or form if you're uh, if you're trying to tokenize an asset. We're all about regulation first and ensuring compliance uh, throughout our process. In the last four years, that's all that we've built our product around is compliance, compliance, compliance. And Mosin, does tokenization change anything in 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 the piece of real estate? I'm sorry. Does tokenization change anything in in real estate investment? Look, uh, the legal structure remains the same, right? It just creates the efficiencies in the system. It's not that you're buying uh, a different membership interest unit in in an LLC. You're buying the exact same thing. It's not that you're 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 buying a different kind of real estate asset. You're buying the exact same thing. What it does is it creates the efficiencies, but because now you have better data with real time data coming in from those assets. Like for uh, the like like what we use with Invenium uh, and our integrations, uh, that real time data leads to uh, real time valuations on these assets as well, which then leads to better decisions uh, on the investment side. Uh, it leads to better reporting uh, on, uh, on the other side. So it's just the efficiencies that it creates in in the business. It's like it's it's like having your cake and eat it too, and then on top of it, it provides you know it's it's investing in real estate with that optionality of liquidity. Uh, it, the, it enable well liquidity is the holy grail right that's that's something that really changes uh in the entire ecosystem real estate has traditionally been extremely illiquid to a point where uh it really uh you know you, your gps are paying a premium to uh get lps on the platform and they're they have to pay very high fees in the form of pref uh, uh, preferred returns in the form uh, of, uh, you know, uh, uh, whether they're accrued or whether they're kept current uh, in different different kind of terms on the, those end. And Most when you're fractionalizing it and you're granting access to a much larger audience on it, and you're enabling people to write $10,000 checks, uh, you know, $20,000 checks as opposed to $100,000 or $500,000 checks, uh, you, you, you really get... Uh, get the benefits of that in there as well. Yeah. Hey, hey Mosin, we want to get to a couple more questions. Yep. Uh, I think there's 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 one on the, someone on the line that just wants to unmute themselves. Uh, yeah, can anyone you, can unmute yourselves. Yeah, we have some questions. So I'll let some people kind of ask questions. Yep. This is a reminder. We, we have a hard, hard stop at 12. So we'll we'll wrap it up uh, to, to, to the top of the arc. But keep it going. Yeah, Go uh, it's me, Paul. Uh, am I audible? Yeah, we can hear you. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, I'm audible. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you, uh, Motion Sid and uh, Sam, for the wonderful uh, you know uh, session. It's really useful. And uh, basically, this is uh, Satyanarayan here, and uh, I'm uh, basically a blockchain uh, business consultant. And apart from that, you know, I work as a deputy vice president with HDFC Bank. Mm, uh, I have uh, two queries uh, with the uh, audience. One is like. Uh, when you do a tokenization on uh, uh, the real estate, and if the to if the asset gets appreciated or depreciated for some reason, how you know uh, these tokens get you know modified? Because when you put it on blockchain, you know it's become immutable. So what exactly your thought on that process? What you know like you know when you put saying the tokenization? And one more thing is like uh, uh, the other uh, thing is uh, Sid has a fantastic point on those you know the way the smart contract has been you know discussed as such and uh, I think you know uh, the smart contract has been hyped a lot where you know like you know people are you know uh, 
people are trying to think that you know blockchain with smart contract is something you know which needs to be necessary but with the current technology we can also create a blockchain without uh, uh, you know without having the smart contracts if you have the inbuilt parameters being built on so that is one more take and apart from that motion one more <laughs> thing i would like to say is uh, blockchain plays an important role in terms of you know like you know uh, if if you if you're not able to you know find identify which blockchain that you are put in Sometimes you know uh, there will be uh, some type of hacking or security. Yes, yeah, let's, let's, let's go to the answers. answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. I, I'm gonna get get back to you with a few uh, with the answers on what, what you're talking about, right? When you're putting real estate, uh, it, when you're fractionalizing real estate and you're tokenizing real estate, what you're putting on chain is what I said earlier. You're taking the Schedule A for a membership uh, for an operating agreement and you're digitizing that. That's all that you're doing. That doesn't mean that you're uh, you, you've got valuation set in immutably. You just know who the owner behind it is. You're adding that traceability and that track uh, trackability to it. It, it, it. You know, you're that. That's a problem with this industry, unfortunately. And I, I apologize for that. Is when you get a lot of techies trying to solve a real world problem without knowing what the real world problem is, and that's what's given this industry such a bad name, the blockchain and crypto industry. Whereas, hey, we're look, we're a problem. Uh, we're a solution looking for a problem. If you don't understand the, what the industry really needs, like what Sid is doing within structured finance or what we're doing within real estate, because we come from this world, right? I, all that I've done all my life, all that our team has done all their lives is real estate and securities, nothing more. So we're solving problems within that in or, and we're using the technology, your blockchain piece to it for efficiencies. Now, when you're talking about securities and blockchain and not having smart contracts, look, I the way I I agree with it completely that you know there's a big misconception on uh, on what smart contracts are. People think maybe it's a legal contract. It's not. It's just a piece of code. The way I like to explain smart contracts are it's a perfectly functioning vending machine where you put in a buck and you press B1 and you're going to get that can of Diet Coke and never a can of Diet Pepsi because that's not what you chose. If you if there's no Diet Coke in there, you're getting your buck back out of it. So it's it's that perfect piece of code that ensures if all conditions are met, the transaction goes through appropriately, uh, and, and you can have multiple checks and balances in place. Uh, it, it, and they're, they're extremely necessary for for creating those efficiencies in place as well. Whether it's compliance check, maximum number of investor checks, whether it's uh, ch checks on uh, uh, on the transaction ability of it with. Uh, with the actual amounts of if any individual investor can own over a certain point or not and so on. So each and every aspect of that needs to be really looked at and needs to be solved for. Uh, your last part of the question uh, was it was an interesting piece as well that, oh, people should know because in case of a security breach or something on those lines, when you're... Uh, tokenizing securities, one of the key things uh, that comes into place uh, per the SEC is if you're doing self-custody, you've got to be, be able to have the ability to burn and reissue those tokens. Uh, and these are security tokens, right? And we, we do have the ability to do that. So in case, even if you do have a breach and, and breaches are not usually that, that possible because there's multiple layers of checks and balances uh, uh, when it comes to security tokens. This is not crypto where, where it can be transferred between any wallets. There's whitelisted wallets. There's there's other requirements for it. Like in, on our, uh, in our structure, we've got an identity token which needs to be present in a wallet before that transaction happens and so on and so forth. So, you, you know, if, even, if, even if and when that does happen, 
for instance, if I die and my tokens need to be transferred to my kids or something on those lines or my trust, that can be done through burning and reissuing those. Yeah, and most that's of you, why you're, you're getting into you're getting into uh, the part two. I think we're going to have to have a part two on this because we're absolutely. Into Sid, do you want to touch base on that too? Is any, any other comments? So you were nodding, and Sam, if you have any thoughts, and then we'll kind of round it up. I think we got five minutes left. No, Mosin covered uh, most of it, and um, it is true that we have to think of a technology which is facilitating the process as it exists today with regulations. You cannot create something completely new. You can't create your own laws, obviously. Uh, so it is a technology which is making it more efficient, trustworthy, transparent, but no laws change, nothing changes just because it's on blockchain. Great. Uh, yes, it, it, yes, it's you know, to sum it all up, I think we've all said the same thing. You know, the, the misconception is, is that tokenization is different than investing in real estate, right? It's not. It's actually better, right? It's the next version because it takes out the friction. It's better data. It's better value. It's more transparency. That's it. It, it really is that simple. If someone were to say, what is tokenization? That's it. Better data, better value, more efficiency, more liquidity. Um, and, and if you think about it, because of all of that, you know, the value of the asset, I don't want to say is more, but the value of the, the investment is it's, it's more valuable to invest this way than it is, you know, just your normal, you know, PDFs and, and without blockchain and without tokenization because of the efficiencies and the transparency and the trust that's provided by blockchain right. and tokenization. Sam, you're, I think you're doing a Papa John commercial. There's like better data, better ingredients, better pizza. Well, this is better data, better securities or real estate opportunities. Uh, well, we're almost out of time here. So uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's question. I got my, I put my email in the chat again. So you can email me any questions you have. Uh, and we'll uh, save those for the next one. And I'll try to relay. Uh, oh, I would just, I would just add, add on the, in the chat, we have a tokenization group on our app so that we can keep the conversation going. The the deck that we just showed is there, and would advise everyone to just. We're an open architecture community. Uh, we have an interesting ideas, or like, what do you want part two to consist of, or three, or four, or five? So you know, su suggest a way. At ten thirty on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, we have our town hall. We sort of mix it up, or just contact Paul or me, and you know, it's it's this is not uh, my platform. This is ours. It's yours. So that's just keep that in mind. Great. Uh, well, I'll just leave it at this. I'll say uh, have a very prosperous day. Uh, thank you for everyone for attending. Thank you, uh, Mosin, Sid, Sam. I think you guys, like I learned a little bit as well. And I'm sure a lot of people on this call learned a lot. Uh, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for having Thanks, us. Everybody. Absolute pleasure. Pleasure being here. Yeah. Take Thanks, care, everyone. Come join our 361 firm community of investors and thought leaders. We have a lot of events created by the community as we collaborate on investments and philanthropic interests. Join us.